It is wonderful to see people talking. It is wonderful to see people standing around having a chat. If I could ask you to start making your way to your seats, that would be a great blessing. Because then, if I get through the sermon faster, you guys will be able to start fellowshipping quicker. So there we go. If you want to start grabbing a seat, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. That is awesome. Thank you very much for today, Pastor Ben. Thank you very much, Elder Jono. <laughs> Grab a seat, ladies. And we will be staying in 1 Peter chapter 5 as well. And so while you grab a seat, if you've got your Bibles open at 1 Peter chapter 5, we're actually going to start at verse 5 today. So I'm going to pray, and then we will get into the Word together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you for the impact your Word has in each of our lives. And I pray this morning you will speak to our hearts. May we hear from you this morning. For your glory and in your name we ask. Amen. So, following on from this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, that's looking at elders, I want to, I want to clarify something here. It moves on regarding Peter's writing in verses 1 to 4 into verse 5. With a lot of the, the writings within the Bible, especially the New Testament, you have like these, this, this division, you have like this this whole idea of this, who you are, and then how you're supposed to live. You have the first part of your letter, this is who you are in Christ, this is what He's done, this is where He's placed you. And then afterwards it says, and because this is who you are, this is how you are to live. So we've looked at, I guess you could say, the who you are part in the eldership side of things. And then He says, this is how you are to live, how you to, to, to conduct yourself regarding life, but it's not just restricted to elders, it's, it's opened up or expanded to everybody. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, we read this, in the same way, in the same way, it's gone from elders to everybody, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, these three words, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor in the New King James, but gives grace to the humble. All of you, clothe yourselves. The way you clothed yourselves this morning, the, the shirt that you put on, the pants you put on. I watched Jono get dressed this morning in church when he took off his T-shirt in front of me and put on the shirt he's wearing now. Then he took out his trousers, and I'm like, please not here. And he went in and got dressed, but then he adorned, he clothed himself in new clothes. Bro, that's on you, you dressed in, the, in here. Did that, that, and in the same, he says, in the same way, clothe yourselves with humility. That's the reason why in verse 6, he says, humble yourselves. Clothed in humility, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. <clears throat> Pardon me. In due time. Humble yourselves. Humility is something that I think most people admire and respect. It is the ability to see yourself as who you truly are, absent of arrogance, 
pride and ego. That's how humility or being humble is presented. Being humbled. Being humbled is when you see yourself as who you really are in connection to something or someone else. Case in point. I thought I could sing. I thought I'm an okay singer. Then I met Chris. I met Joyce. I met Mel. And I'm like, wow, that's humbling. I mean, yeah, I can, I can hold a tune, but I wouldn't call myself a singer. These guys are singers. That's humbling. I thought I could play table tennis. I thought I'm an okay table tennis player. Then I meet Auntie Judy. I meet Uncle Sun Ling. I meet Jim's. And these, I meet Tommy. And these guys, pa-pow, pa-pow, that was mega humbling. I got mega humbled pretty quickly. Okay? I thought I could play basketball. Then I, I meet Jono. I meet Brendan. I meet Saeed. And I'm just like super, just bang, just keep quiet, Joe. Just stop thinking you're something you're not. I was humbled by all these people. I thought, I thought I was a nice guy. I thought I am a man of integrity until I saw myself honestly before who God is and how great His love is for me. When I looked at the perfection of God and the greatness and the majesty of who He is, especially in the person of Christ, I was crushed by greatness. I was ground to dust before a God who is so great. Isaiah refers to kings and and people of power and, and noblemen as statesmen in comparison to God as worms. I am but a worm in the presence of a great God. Thus, as the people of God, I am to humble myself, seeing myself as who I truly am according to the Scriptures, and to view myself in connection and underneath this mighty hand of God. This mighty hand that delivers, because I am sucked down into this quag that's a great word, this quagmire of sin. This mighty hand that redeems because I am bound by my own sinful nature in need of redemption. This mighty hand that liberates because I am captive to my own lusts and my own desires for what I want. By this mighty hand that saves because I am in need of saving. You see, humbling ourselves or being humbled under God's mighty hand is the conclusion that we must come to because we are incapable of delivering ourselves. We are incapable of redeeming ourselves. We are incapable of liberating or saving ourselves. Where I live, we have this river, the Fowl River in New Zealand, where my parents live, should I say. And it's a disgusting river. Yet we would go swimming 
in it because it was water. But you have mangroves everywhere, those mangroves, and you have this mud. And the mud is, it stinks, it's disgusting. You take a step into it, it sinks all the way up to your knees, okay? When you get stuck in it, it is virtually impossible to get yourself out. I'm stuck. I remember years ago, we would play this game. I would ride a bike, me and my next-door neighbors. We'd ride our bikes, and we would put on the brakes, and we'd do a skid to see how close we could get to the edge of the, the river without falling in. And we get closer. It's, it's what guys do. We, we, we do dumb things. And so we're riding down this huge hill, slam on the brakes, slide. Oh, yeah, that's close. Slide, getting closer and closer. And I got really close. It was a foot break, so you stand up. Whoa! And I got really close to the edge. I think I would have won it. And then I made the mistake of pedaling forward. I pedaled forward and just went head first into this mud. Now, I was maybe 11 at the time, and I praise God for His grace because I landed, I hit the mud head first, my arms went all the way up there, and the only thing that stopped my face from going in was a piece of wood that happened to be on the mud. So I hit, literally, face planted into a piece of wood that saved me, and I couldn't get myself out. And every time I tried, I dragged myself further in. That's what we're like in our natural sinful state. And the more we wrestle with it ourselves, the more we get sucked into it further and further. It is beyond us because if you read in the Scriptures, you know what the Scriptures teach about the best we have to offer God? The best, your best and my best. All of my kindness, all of my compassion, all of my generosity, all of my charitable giving, all of my charitable involvement, all of my work with homeless people. You know what that is? To you it might be, Joe, you're an amazing purpose. Purpose. You're an amazing person. You know what the Scriptures teach? It says that all of my righteousnesses is filth. The best I have to offer God is filth. Isaiah 40, 64, sorry, 64. Six, and that's why I need help. It is why God says to the people of Israel through Jeremiah, Let not the mighty man glory in his might, neither let the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the rich man glory in his riches. You know why? Because none of that does any good before God. He says, Let him that glory glory in this, that he knows and understand me, that I am the Lord, and that in these things. I delight. I'm just going to go ahead and write this. That's Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. You see, true humility is seeing yourself in relation to who God is and how in His love and in His goodness, He provides Jesus, the Deliverer, the Redeemer, the Liberator, the Savior to save us from our sin and to bring us to Himself. And it is that same mighty hand, as I read in this verse, that lifts me up, that reaches down and plucks me out. That same mighty hand that lifts me up by lowering himself, that lifts me up to be seated with him in the heavenlies, that lifts me up so that I can stand in his presence as his child. That's awesome. That's why. I've got nothing to be, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, why does it say? It says, by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, 
so that no one can boast. I can't boast the fact that I've been a sinner saved by grace. But you see, because I can stand as a child, it is why then after I humbled myself, I can cast all my anxieties. The New King James says, cast all my cares upon him because he cares for you. The one who delivers and redeems, the one who liberates and saves, also says this, that you are to cast your cares upon him too. Those concerns you have, those worries you hold on to, those difficulties you face, he says, you cast them on him as well. Matthew chapter 11 Verses 28 to 30. I want you to look at that in your Bibles, but it says this. Once you hear it, you'll know it. He says, Jesus is saying this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can cast. You know, what, you know what it means to cast? Cast means to intentionally launch. It's what Brad does when he goes fishing. He intentionally launches his line and his bait to where it wants to be so he can catch fish. He means to, to, to cast, to throw things upon, to deliberately throw out People throw out lines in order to go fishing to see how they would respond. But he is saying to us, because he cares for us, we are to cast our cares upon him. I, I love that. I love that. He says, give me your cares because I care for you. Give me your worries because I love you. Give me your burdens because I want to be there for you. Such is the love of God and Christ for me. That is insane. As a parent, I know as mothers, when you've looked at your child and they're congested and can't breathe because they're sick, and you want with all your heart, if I could just take this sickness from you, I would take it. Or a father that finds their child that's been bullied at school or going through a hard time, and how a father would sit there and say, show me the kid and I'll beat him up. Not that they will. You better not. But I'm saying that's, 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 that's the feeling that goes through. You want to take it from them. Why? Because you love them and you don't want them going through the stress and through the difficulties. One of the hardest times I believe that face teenagers today is just living in a world that is totally exposed to everything about their lives. And as, as old people, as an old man, I look at my youngest son and see how the pressures that are placed on him because he's trying to measure up to the success that social media portrays. And in some way, he may feel like a failure. In some way, he may feel like he doesn't measure up. And, and I'm looking at him, and in my mind, I'm thinking, turn off your phone. Stop looking at your computer. Stop Stop sort of measuring yourself against other people. That's in my mind. And I want to take whatever it is that he's going through from him because of my love for him. So it is for the heavenly father with us. Does it take it away? No. But knowing that he's there, to have my son and talk with him, even just recently my wife and I were talking with him 
and just having him open up to us. And, had to, and just to reiterate to him, you know I love you, right? You know you can talk to me, right? You know if you need anything, we are here for you, right? And he goes, yes. And the security of knowing that his parents have his back for him meant everything. Meant everything. To know that my father has my back in Jesus Christ. To know that he sits there and says to me, Joe, you know you can talk to me, right? Joe, you know that I'm here for you, right? Joe, you know you can come to me, right? And I'm like, yes. Lord, I want to cast these upon you. I want you to take this that I'm having, the, the, the inadequacies that I'm feeling, the, the despair that I'm going through, the, the hardness or the struggles that I face. Lord, I want to, please help me. And he says, give them to me. It may not take them away, but I do know this, that when I do give it over to him, my spirit is settled. That he is doing something in me and through my circumstance that will bring glory to his name. It is why, as Jesus said, when he asks us to trust him, if you do have your Bibles, look at Matthew, sorry, yeah, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. I've only put up a fraction there, but I want to read to you some of these things. This is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says for us to know and to understand. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes from verse 27 through to verse 30. He talks about, consider the birds of the year. You know, they don't look after anything, but I tell you this, if one falls to the ground, your father knows. Consider the lilies of the field. Like they, they, they twirl and they spin, and I can tell you that Solomon in all his glory was never dressed like that. And then he says in verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself, or will worry about itself. You know what these two things are, this humble yourselves and to cast all your cares? I've, I've referred to this as this, acceptance and acknowledgement. Humbling yourself before God is the acceptance that He is in charge and that He is in complete control, that He is sovereign in your life. The, the, accept, the, acknowledge, sorry, the acceptance, the acknowledgement part of this is I'm, I'm giving it over to you knowing that you are in control. The acknowledgement that He's in His rightful place as God. So humble yourselves, cast all your cares upon him. And then we read this, to be alert and sober-minded. We read, be alert and, sober and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, being alert and aware, not just oh, not being alert, being awake and aware. That's what I say being alert means, because you can be awake and, and not be with it. You know what that's like when you wake up in the morning. You're awake, and people, your wife's talking to you, you're talking to your spouse, and you're, and you're just like, huh? Yeah, yeah that, that's what it is. But we're to be awake and aware, and seeing this instruction comes in connection 
to being aware of the devil that prowls around looking for someone to devour. To be alert and to be awake, mean, sorry, to be aware and awake means this. It means being aware of the way the enemy works. If you ever watch those documentaries in the Sahara, wherever it may be, and you have lions that are prowling, you'll notice they never go for the main, for the main sort of prey. They, they look for the ones that are sickly. They look for the ones that are disconnected. They look for the ones that, that are alone and that are isolated. And they look and they're like, I'm going to pounce on that one. Oh, I'm going to take out Tommy. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to take out Chris. Yeah. And it's like, pow. That's what they do. I'm not doing that deliberately, gentlemen. Okay, just bear that in mind. Okay? But that, that's what it means. And so for, to be awake and aware means to be aware of our own weaknesses, to be aware of the avenues that the enemy can exploit and, and, and utilize to cause you to fall. I, I know mine. I've had, a, I've had prayed and asked God some of the things that, that, that caused me to open myself up to the enemy. God, by his grace, has made me awake and aware to these things. For me, sport. I can watch hours upon hours of sport, even sport I don't like. I will watch because it's sport. I will discover new sports just so I have some sport to watch. And God in his grace has made that known to me, how that, for me, is, is a weakness that God can use. The other one that he's made known to me, my own ego. My ego is shocking. I, I'm, I'm always like, like, if I go to a place, it's like, look at me. That's, I may not say it, but I think that's what I'm like. It's shocking. And God in his grace, even preparing for a sermon, my first thing that creeps into my mind is how are they going to accept this? How are they going to like me from this? And, so, and, and then the focus is taken off directing you to Jesus. Because that's what it's supposed to be about. It's about him. So I know those weaknesses and how the enemy can use such things within my own heart to cause my own downfall. The, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 describes it like this. This is what the enemy uses. He's used it since the days of the Garden of Eden when he tempted Adam and Eve. It's called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, fle uh, the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. And you know what? That's the, what's that old saying? If, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The enemy has been using that since the beginning. And he's still using it today. Because you have people that fall from the lust of the flesh. Some great godly men who have fallen because of the lust of the flesh. Families destroyed because of the lust of the flesh. Testimonies ruined because of the lust of the flesh. You have the lust of the eyes. You, know, you sit there and you start to covet. You start to desire. I want what they want. And the pride of life. You know what I call that? My ego. My ego. And we need to be aware that that's what the enemy uses. Because what does the Bible teach? My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible teaches. Because I can rationalize and I can justify any bad choice I make to make myself look good or to justify me doing something that is not God-honoring. I need to see myself clearly in the mirror of God's Word to make the right decisions and to obey the Word of Christ that dwells in us richly. 
I mean, look in the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. The enemy comes to Jesus at the end of 40 days, not at the beginning. That in the weakness of his body, he says, okay, here we go. It is in those weaknesses that the enemy starts his attack. But our Lord denied himself. Our Lord took upon himself the responsibility of our sin and followed through on his Father's will, regardless of such temptation. And his, what's amazing, that while he was weary and while he was hungry, his mind was alert, his mind was focused. His mind was sober-minded. That's why I am to follow his example, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, just like Jesus did, take up their cross, as the Lord did for us, and follow him. For it is only when one is alert and of sober mind that they can do the last of these instructions. Resist and stand firm. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Resist means to oppose. Resist means to make a stand against. So I've worked out at high school, my strength level, my strength level in a tug of war is five year seven kids. Okay? So five year seven kids. So I can pull five year seven kids pretty easily. Five, five year seven boys. Usually the ones that think they've got something to prove and like, yeah, yeah, manly. Like, go away, little boy, let's go. Okay, and then just, okay? Now, it doesn't matter how strong I am and how good I am regarding my upper body strength. If my feet aren't standing firm, I can be defeated by two year seven kids, which has happened. I remember this because I get ready, and what happens when you're doing tug of war on grass, you start to slide. If you don't have firm footing, you get dragged. We are told to resist the devil and to stand firm, to be sure-footed and stable so that when the attacks come, we are able to stand against them. When I am standing firm with a solid foundation in Christ and in obedience to him, what happens? In James chapter 4, we read this, that when we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Resist and he will flee. Paul says that we are to put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Peter says, well, we just said, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up. And that we are to resist him standing firm in the faith. And I like this, the way Peter writes this, because there have been others who have gone through it. There are others throughout the world who are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Even today, there are others that are being lifted up in God's mighty hand as they humble themselves before. And there are others who are experiencing the care of God in their difficulty as they cast all their cares upon Him. There are others that are resisting the devil and standing firm in the faith, even amidst the attacks that they might be experiencing because they're following Jesus. And here's what's really exciting. When I look at the way God, I, what the mighty hand of God does is that then the mighty hand of God restores and makes us. That's, that's the whole purpose. 
The whole purpose of Jesus coming is to restore us into a right relationship with God the Father and make us his child. He restores and makes us. In verse 10, it says that the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Whether in this life, even as it leads into the next, while the, the suffering that we experience here, the difficulties, whatever it might be, we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, and then God's mighty hand lifts us up. Why? Because He cares and loves on you. That's it. He's the one that restores and makes you strong. He's the one that restores and makes you firm in the faith. He's the one that restores and makes you steadfast. I like this. Do not strive in your own strength, Andrew Murray says. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart so you will be strong in the Lord. That's an amazing quote by Andrew Murray. And that's what we are called to do as he, because we're told this, that he keeps us in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. This is the place that we are brought to. This is the place that we are made into. This is the place that we are restored in as we learn to accept and acknowledge who the Lord is and our position before Him. That we are alert and aware of the battle we face and, of the, and the enemies and the, the, way, the ways of the enemy that tries to make us ineffective. But even greater than that, knowing who he is in me and that who I am in as well. To resist, to persevere, that results in us being raised up by his mighty hand and to live in victory over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. This is what the mighty hand of God does. The one that we humble ourselves under, the one upon which we can cast all our cares, the one through which we can be alert and sober-minded, enabling us to resist the devil and to stand firm in the faith as our God in Christ restores us and makes us to be as his own. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Trust and he will make us strong in the Lord. Rely and he will restore us into a right relationship with himself. That is, that is the blessing that has been bestowed upon us in Christ. And that, I pray, will be what you will hold on to. And you will cherish the greatness of the love of God shown to you in Christ. Yeah. Amen.
So I'm just going to pray, and we'll, we'll, we'll call it there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the instruction that you have given to us to humble ourselves, to cast all our cares upon you, for us to be alert and sober-minded as the enemy seeks to make us ineffective, to resist the enemy and even the enemy within ourselves with our own lusts and our desires. But I thank you for the promise that you will lift us up. You will make and you will restore us. You will make us strong. You will make us firm. You will make us steadfast. So I pray that you will help us, that as we leave here, as we look into the coming year of 2023, that we will have our hearts, minds, and, and our whole beings focused upon not only living for you, but living with you. So we commit ourselves to you now, Lord, and thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what you've done in each of our lives. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters.